To get into the Bible, we are looking at Malachi chapter 3, verse 16 to chapter 4, verse 6. It's the fourth in our four-week series on this last book of the Old Testament called Malachi. And I'm going to pray for us now as we prepare to hear from God. Loving Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us by your Holy Spirit through the Bible. And as we look now at this last chapter of the Old Testament, help us to know what it means to prepare for the King. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the greatest fears of the nuclear age was the threat of mutual assured destruction, or MAD. Uh, when our family went over to Arizona in the United States of America nearly 10 years ago, we visited the Titan Missile Museum, almost as good as Disneyland. Uh, it was once the home to one of 54 Titan missile sites in the US, and until 1987, it housed a nuclear missile that was ready to be launched in response to any incoming attack. It was always there to be a deterrent, but you know that if a missile was deployed, then it was expected that there would be mutual assured destruction as these nuclear missiles would be raining down upon all the capital cities of the world, or at least those within the reach of the missiles. Now from this, in the 1940s and onwards, there became the phenomenon of the doomsday prepper, or these days it's just known as prepper. A prepper was typically somebody who would stockpile food and ammunition and, and have some sort of survival shelter that would help them to be self-sufficient in the event of a disaster. And even though today it seems less likely that nuclear weapons will shower down on Australia, there are still many catastrophes that preppers prep for. Some people are hardcore preppers and they'll have sophisticated survival shelters and, and sometimes years worth of food. Others just buy trolley loads of toilet paper. Now, if you were to look at my pantry, you might think that I'm a bit of a prepper, given the many cans of Roma tomatoes and all of the bags of double O flour, but that's just my passion for Italian cooking. But I can say that if there was some sort of catastrophe, the McNeil household would fill up and keep eating Italian pasta day in, day out. We'll be right for a couple of months. But I wonder how you feel about preppers. Uh, it might be that you mock them. It might be that you envy them and wish you were as well set up as they are. Maybe you even have a few preparations yourself, just up your sleeve. I think your attitude to preppers depends on how likely you think it is that there will be a catastrophe like that. It depends how much you think we need to be prepared for that. Well, today I want to tell us that we all need to be preppers. We all need to be prepared for Jesus. We don't need to be preppers necessarily in terms of stockpiling baked beans and bullets, but we do need to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. We need to be preppers for Jesus. And to be a prepper for Jesus is someone who fears the Lord and awaits the day when Jesus returns. That's the message we get from the very last book of the last bit of the Old Testament. And it's what we get from Malachi. We've been looking at over these last four weeks, three weeks, and then number four is today. And the passage we're looking at today shows us to be ready for the coming of the Lord. And it says that there are two different responses to that day of judgment. One response will lead people to be burned up like a bushfire. 
And the other response will be to be set free from punishment and to enjoy God's grace. These are the two ways to live. And the reason that we can only choose one or the other is because God made the world, he made us, and he rightly should be receiving our honour and obedience. And so if we ignore him and reject him, he has every right to punish us because he needs to maintain justice and his honour, and that's the right thing to do. And so right up front, I want to say to you, don't reject the king. Don't reject the king. Be on the right side of history. Be on the side of Jesus, because rejecting God is deadly. Well, as we have this in our mind, let's now look at things in chapter 3, verse 16a. It kicks off by saying there that then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other and the Lord listened to what they said. Can you see there it starts with the word then? It shows that we're in the middle of a narrative, a middle of a story. Something's just happened before that. And that'll help us understand what we're coming to now. Because in chapter 3.13, a couple of verses back, it says, You have said terrible things about me, says the Lord. But you say, what do you mean? What have we said against you? And the Lord says, you've said, what's the use of serving God? What have we gained by obeying his commandments or trying to show the Lord of heaven's army that we're sorry for our sins? From now on, we will call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil get rich. And those who dare God to punish them suffer no harm. That's what's just happened. And if you saw last week, you'd seen that a whole lot of these people who were originally followers of God said, look, it's not worth following God. I'm not getting enough out of it. Life has not improved. And so they've given up on following God. Many gave up on following God. And not only did they stop following God, they started to say the things that God doesn't like we reckon he does. We're going to turn everything upside down. How do you reckon God feels about that? Well, it says there that God called their words terrible or, or arrogant. or Quite literally, the original language says the word hard. They are hard words for God to hear. His people he loved, he made, have said, "Ah, there's not enough in it for me to follow you as king. What you, what you say is bad, we're now going to say is good. Off you go, I'm going to have nothing to do with you. How did he find that? He found it hard, it says. And with that in context, we get to today's verse. It says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. So can you see that? There was a whole bunch of them who said, Nah, forget it. There's nothing in it for me. But there were some others who feared the Lord. Some of them feared the Lord. And what does it mean to fear the Lord? It's not the kind of fear you have when you walk into someone's house and they've got an angry dog and you have the adrenaline and the fear of them. Or it's not the fear when you hear the principal or your boss say, come up to my office. You know, it's not that kind of fear. It's the sort of fear you have when you show proper respect, when you, when you have a healthy fear. You know, like a, a healthy fear of, of walking too close to a cliff's edge. You know, that, that kind of healthy fear, of that's the fear you should have of God. That's what it, what it means to respect him. So a whole bunch of them said, nah, we've got nothing we want to have with you, God. There's nothing in it for us. And then there's others who feared the Lord, the good guys, right? And we hear that they spoke to each other. We don't know what they were saying. You can possibly guess. 
Maybe they were saying, I can't believe that all those people have rejected God. Because we know that it can be hard, but we're going to stick with him because he is the one who made us and loves us and is worthy of our praise. We're not really sure exactly what they said, but it seems likely. And if they did think that, they understood the world God's way. And they would know that when you follow God, life doesn't get easier. Sometimes it gets harder. It's so sad that some people get this idea that, they, that you become a Christian and suddenly everything's good. You get more money, you get better health, you get more friends, you get a better smile, everything works better for you. It doesn't work that way. It can, it can often be completely the opposite. And you want the best example of that? The Apostle Paul, who lived soon after Jesus, he wrote to his mate, Timothy, he said, you know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. And yes, here it is, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Everyone, there's a promise from God. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. You know, it's really, it's just like what was happening there 500 years earlier in the time of Malachi. So many of them would say, oh, forget God. We'll just go off on our own little way. So maybe it was that these people who did fear the Lord were saying, actually, life is tough, but we understand that that's what happens when you follow God, and it's okay. But whatever it was, it turns out that the Lord was listening to them. And here's what happens next, verse 16b. In his presence, in the Lord's presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and who always thought about the honour of his name. In other words, their names were in a special book. Their names were in a special book. Those who feared God and always thought about the honour of his name. They were the ones that God wrote down in his little book. That's how they were honoured. There's talk of a book like that in other parts of the Bible as well. It's, it's known as the book of life. So in Philippians chapter 4, Paul talks, he says, I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. That, that's a way of describing someone who's a follower of Jesus. Their names are written in the book of life. And of course, in Revelation, the final book of the whole Bible, the expression book of life often pops up like here, 13.8. And all the people who belong to this world worship the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made. So this idea of a book that God writes your name in is not something that's just new in Malachi. It's a theme of the Bible. And the point is that God writes the names. He recognises his people, those who honour him, who know him, who fear him, who love him. And he writes their names in. And what happens to them? Verse 17, Malachi, back to Malachi, he says, They will be my people. They will be my people, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And on the day when I act in judgment... They will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? To be called my people. That's what the Lord calls them. And his own 
special treasure. And he actually treats them like an obedient child. There's talk here and in a moment's time about being a child to the father. We'll see it come up a few times. But in all of this, you are in his family if you honour his name. You're in his family if you honour the king. And you'll be treated like an obedient child. And I tell you what, even if it's hard, there's nothing more important than that. There's nothing better than that. And that is because of what we're about to see. And that is, sure, it is really, really good to be on the side of the creator. But it's also really, really, really good to be on the side of the judge. And that is because judgment day is coming. Now, I mentioned earlier in question time that if I wanted to sit down and and grab all my hobby horse little passages and topics of the Bible, I, I could easily do that. I prefer to say, let's spend four weeks on four chapters and see where the Lord takes us. And it turns out he's taking us into this topic of judgment day. And so here we are. Let's have a look at it and see what it's saying. Because there's a word in it for all of us here. But the point of it is, judgment is a reality. And what happens on that judgment day all comes down to your choice. Your choice in advance. Because, as I've said before, there are only two ways to live. You put God as king or you put yourself as king. If you put God as king, you are saved and loved and you have eternal life. You put yourself as king, you lose because God will punish you because you have acted in a dishonorable way and he cannot maintain his glory and have you unpunished. And so... How does this all work? Well, we read about this kind of thing in verse 18. He says, Then on that day you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Can you see it? There's two ways, one way or the other. You're either righteous or wicked. You either serve God or you don't. And ultimately, it's about a relationship thing. Are you friends with God or not? That's what it all comes down to. But why does it matter? It's because of the coming day of judgment. And this is what it'll be like. Chapter 4, verse 1. The Lord of heaven's army says, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. On that day, the arrogant and the wicked will be burnt up like straw. They will be consumed, roots, branches, and all. What's judgment going to be like? What's judgment day going to be like? Judgment day is like a hot furnace. Those who have rejected God will burn up like a tree in a bushfire. Not just the leaves, but the branches and the roots and everything. It's a terrifying picture, isn't it? It's a terrifying picture because you, you see that it would be painful. But the reason that fire is involved is because of something we saw a little bit earlier on. Fire brings purification. Can you remember this from a, the before from Malachi 3 verse 2 but who will be able to endure it when he comes this is judgment day who will be able to stand and face him when he appears for he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes he will sit like a refiner of silver burning away the dross he will purify the Levites refining them like gold and silver so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. The reason that there is burning is that burning up 
brings purification. It removes the unholiness from amongst the holy. It burns away the sin. It burns away the evil. And that's what Judgment Day will be like. A day of burning like a furnace. And if you are amongst the righteous, amongst those who fear the Lord, then it'll be hot, but you will be purified. And you'll be like pure gold or pure silver. But if you are un the unrighteous and you have rejected God and you hate him, then you will burn up like the dross. So which one are you going to choose? You've got to choose to be amongst those who fear God's name, surely. You want to be the one who are on the right side of history, on the right side who follows Jesus. Because if you do, this is what happens. Verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteous will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. If you're amongst the righteous, if you fear God's name, then that day of judgment won't bring terror and fear. That judgment day will bring freedom to God-fearers. Freedom to God-fearers. It's a very Jamboree way of putting it, isn't it? Talking about cows leaping with joy like calves let out to pasture. They've been cooped up and suddenly they're out and they're springing and they're bouncing. And why will you experience that? It's because you will see the sun. On that day, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. I wonder if that kind of rings a bell. Well, if it does, it's because it's a part of a Christmas song that we sing. Some of you are nodding. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. So the writer of Hark the Herald Angels Sing had Malachi 4 in front. It's kind of cool, isn't it? And I reckon in all the years of singing that hymn, I've never really understood it. But I think I've got a better idea now. You see, what are the wings? What are they talking about? Well, I think it's a, a little bit like the picture of the sun that you've got on your server sheets there, that, that, that kind of almost a cartoon picture of the sun with, with all of these rays out there, the, the rays that look like wings. Can you sort of see that? It's sort of, they are the wings of the sun. You see, the sun can be a wonderful thing. When you're, when you're cold and it's dark and you're feeling unwell and you spend some time in the sun, you get light and life and even healing. That is the power of the sun to energize and to revitalize and to even save in that sense. But it's the same sun that if you're exposed to it for any length of time in the desert, you'll know it will cook you. Both things will happen from the experience of being in the sun. It just depends what you're like before that sun, whether you are amongst those who are receiving healing or those who are receiving judgment. Because the sun brings either burning or it brings healing. And so if you're in God's presence in, and you fear his name, it will bring life and light. Because the one who's described as the Lord of Heaven's armies is rightly identified in this hymn as the Prince of Peace. And more about that in a moment. But first we've got to see what that day of judgment will be like. 
The next verse of Malachi chapter 4, here verse 3 says, On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I find this a fairly confronting verse, I've got to say. Because on judgment day, those who are the Lord-fearers, the God-fearers, will in some sort of way be treading upon the wicked like dust. God's people will have some sort of role or experience on judgment day. And I find that really confronting. It's sort of like I'd like God to just deal with that and not have any role of it myself. But I think partly it's because I don't really hurt enough when I hear people attacking my Lord. I don't really love his name as much as he does. I don't really love his glory as much as he does. And so whilst Judgment Day is one that I am not looking forward to because of the death and the judgment and the justice that will be carried out on people I love who don't know Jesus, at the same time I pray that I might see it a day of glory because Jesus will win and people will stop mucking up with him. And they will stop teasing his name and swearing against him. They will be over. But as we look at this judgment, there's an important reminder of how we should live. It says in verse 4, Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. As those who are fearing the Lord, those who have received healing in their wings... They are the ones who need to continue to obey God's word. God's people must obey God's word. If we love God, we'll do what he says. And it was listed there for God's people in the Old Testament. They had to obey the Ten Commandments or the law of Moses. The same is actually true for us today. We, we need to follow God's word because we love him. Not so that he'll love him, but because he loves us. But they couldn't obey God's word perfectly. That's why Jesus needed to come. And we'll see more of that in a moment. But... As this all comes near to the end, we get to the near the end of Malachi and in fact the whole Old Testament, a big question really remains and that is, when is Judgment Day coming? If you lived 500 years before Jesus, when would you see this day happen? Well, they're told, verse 5, he says, look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. Here's the answer. It's not going to happen until Elijah arrives. Judgment Day won't happen before Elijah returns. Who was Elijah? He was one of the greats of the Old Testament. He was a prophet who said, turn back to God, turn back to God, don't follow Baal, follow the Lord, and so on. And God did remarkable miracles through him, signs and wonders and all of that. And that was hundreds of years before Malachi. But then after that, they're waiting for Elijah to come again. When will he come? Has he come yet? Or is something that we are still waiting for? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. And we're going to have a little bit of a look at some bits from Matthew chapter 11. Because I think that it's likely that Jesus, as he was looking, as he was saying all the things that are recorded in Matthew chapter 11, I think it's likely that he had Malachi chapter 3 and 4 in front of his mind. Have a look, because we get in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, verse 10, John the Baptist is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, from Malachi, 
Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. For before John came, all the prophets, including Malachi, and the law of Moses, look forward to this present time, Jesus said 2,000 years ago. And if you are willing to accept what I say, John, he is Elijah. The one the prophets said would come. You see why I quoted that in full? Because Jesus made it very clear that Malachi's Elijah was in fact John the Baptist. 500 years before they were looking forward to the time when eventually Elijah would come. And Jesus is saying, that guy John the Baptist, he's the Elijah. And if you knew Malachi, you'd be thinking, yikes. We are in a very significant historical moment, and indeed they were. Because this means that the trigger is ready for the day of the Lord. The trigger is ready for the Lord to pull as he brings judgment day. And so exactly what was that going to be like? Well, we have a look at verse 6, the very, very last verse of the Old Testament. Malachi 4, 6, it says... His preaching, John's preaching, will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. And that's how the Old Testament ends. And you turn over the next page and you get Matthew's gospel and it starts. So what's that verse saying? Well, the prophet Malachi speaks of fathers and children. Can you see that? Turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Fathers, children, children. And the other thing he talks about is striking the land with a curse. There's two themes there, all in that final verse there. That there's going to be a curse upon the land if you don't accept the preaching. Well, what did Jesus say immediately after he just said all that stuff about John the Baptist coming? Well, he said in chapter 11 of Matthew, verse 20, he said, then Jesus began to denounce the towns, the lands, where he'd done so many of his miracles because they hadn't repented of their sins and turned to God. And Jesus says, what sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, that's two places there, for if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, throwing themselves in, in sackcloth, burlap, and, and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. And I tell you, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. There he, he's got the idea of Judgment Day in his head, doesn't he? Because that's exactly what's in Malachi chapter 4. And, and then he says, and you people of Capernaum, another place, will you be honoured in heaven? No, you'll go down to the place of the dead. For if the miracles I did for you had been done in wicked Sodom, it would be here today. I tell you, even Sodom will be better off on Judgment Day than you. So I think Jesus had Malachi 3 and 4 in his mind as he's now speaking these words that are captured here for us in Matthew chapter 11. And one of the things that he said would happen has happened. And that is the preaching of John has brought them and their land under a curse. Rejecting John's preaching brought a curse. So he says, woe to you. 
What sorrow awaits you? He's saying, you are under that curse because you have rejected the message of John. But some would accept it. And so there would be, as it says in the final verse, hearts of fathers would turn to their children and the hearts of children would turn to their fathers. There's this idea of families being restored. But, but more than just families, I think it might be talking there about the covenant family, the, the family of God, the household of God being restored. And more than that, the idea that the sons of God would be restored to their heavenly father. Father and son, children and father. See if I'm right. Because straight afterwards in verse 25, Jesus says, at that time Jesus prayed this prayer. He says, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. He's thinking about children and fathers and fathers and children. And then he goes on to say that through him, through Jesus, God's children will know their father. Have a look at verse 27. He says, my father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the son except the father and no one truly knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. So he now says, if you want to be a child of God, the child restored to your father, the heavenly father, it is through Jesus. And then right at this point, if Jesus has got right in front of him, Malachi chapter 3 and chapter 4, you would think that he would now turn to judgment. That you'd now say, okay, and so I am coming and I'm going to burn you up. But instead he says this. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. The Lord of heaven's army said, I am coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And then Elijah comes, which is John the Baptist. And Jesus is there and he's saying, curse on you who reject me and don't hear the preaching. And then he says, come and receive my rest. Jesus invites us to receive his rest. I think that's a bit of a surprise for us as we've got Malachi 4 buzzing in our head. Judgment day, judgment day. And Jesus says, come and receive my rest. Come and receive my grace. And earlier on I said, you know, judgment day is coming. The sun's powerful rays are coming and you'll either get burnt up or you'll get energised and given freedom. What will it be? Two ways to live. And the answer is, you need to prepare for the king by coming to Christ. To accept his invitation, come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And if you haven't done that yet, you need to do that. You're being warned, and Jesus is saying, don't be the one that I curse, be the one that I give rest to. And so if that is you, you will be amongst those of us in this room who have done that. Those of us who have seen the coming of the King in Jesus and now are awaiting again the coming of the King as he returns again. Life between the two comings of Christ. 
Will you be with us awaiting that day with, with joy, awaiting that day when, when he returns? We will leap like calves being led out to pasture with joy. Will you await the final return of Jesus? Are you ready for the king?